And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, the 31st, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On July 31st, 1777, that was during the Revolutionary War, Marcus Lafayette, he was a 19-year-old kid, 19-year-old French nobleman. He was made a major general in the American Continental Army. George Washington was deeply, deeply impressed by this kid. He'd been well-trained in war and things related to war. And, of course, France was very supportive of the Revolutionary War. And he, in particular, was supportive of George Washington and what was happening here in what would become the United States. So, anyway, he offered his services, and Washington accepted that and uh, made him a major general in the American Continental Army. Later, Washington would say that, uh, that there could have been a different outcome if Lafayette had not been involved in the war effort. Today in 1715, a fleet of Spanish ships carrying gold, silver, jewelry sank during a hurricane off the East Florida coast. About 2,500 crew members, more than 1,000 of them, died. I'll bet there's been a lot of people, maybe they have found this this uh, ship filled with gold and silver and jewelry, but I'll bet a lot of people have thought about searching for it. Today in 1957, the Distant Early Warning Line, it was a system of radar stations designed to detect Soviet bombers approaching North America. That went into operation. Today in 1970, the Huntley-Brinkley Report came to an end after nearly 14 years as co-anchor, Chet Huntley signed off for the last time. NBC then renamed the broadcast NBC Nightly News. Today in 1971, Apollo 15 crew members, David Scott and James Irwin, they became the first astronauts to use a lunar rover on the surface of the moon. Let me take a minute, just part of a minute, and give you a little backstory on this. I, I knew Jim Irwin, the astronaut, very well. We were good friends. And uh, he, um, he t- t- told the story. He told it publicly, but he shared it with me before he started sharing it publicly. But when they went on that trip, he gave very thought. He was a very co- committed Christian. He, he has passed away now, but very deeply committed to the Lord and, and just a great guy. And uh, obviously very smart and an astronaut. But anyway, when they took that lunar up there, it was the, the first to, to use this lunar rover. And uh, Jim thought that probably there would be others going to the moon later on, like Russia, China, those kinds of players. And he said he wanted to do something to make a statement. So he he took along with him this big, like a Bible. I mean, a, it was a Bible, but a big, like a family-type Bible. And he took this with him, and um, he, uh, with permission uh, from NASA or whatever, and uh, after they had, ro- you know, kind of lunar roved around on the moon and everything, they got ready to leave, get back in their module and hook up and come back to the United States. Um, he, he, he took that Bible and he put it on the seat of this uh, lunar rover. And he thought, he said, when somebody walks up to this sometime in the future, he said, it'll probably be an adversary of the United States. He said, the first thing I want them to see, because he said, they're going to want to check this out and see the technology of it. I don't know if that ever has happened, but nonetheless, that was his thinking. He said, the first thing I want them to see is the Bible on the seat of this lunar rover. And he said, even if nobody ever sees it, 
He said, I want people to know that when they walk out on a clear night and look up at the moon shining in the sky, he said, I want you to know that on the face of that moon is a little tiny rover that I drove around on the moon, and there's a Bible on the seat for anyone who finds it. And, of course, I've never forgotten that story, and others have heard it as well. But that is the story of the lunar rover that's not part of the historical overview of what happened with Apollo 15. Today in 2003, the Vatican launched a global campaign against gay marriage, warning Catholic politicians that support of same-sex unions was gravely immoral, (laughs) urging non-Catholics to join the offensive. Apparently, Joe Biden didn't get the memo on that one. He's one of the greatest, most just relentless uh, supporters and advocates of same-sex marriage and transgenderism and everything else that is weird that's going on in our country today, in our culture. And he's the president. Ten years ago today, President Barack Obama's national security team acknowledged for the first time that while investigating one suspected terrorist, it could read and store the phone records of millions of Americans. That was a shock. I think some of us, many of us perhaps, I certainly do, remember that. I remember when that announcement was made. I thought, what? Yeah, millions, millions of personal information, messages of Americans under the guise of interrogating or investigating one terrorist. I don't know. I've been talking about a spiritual awakening happening across the nation with our youth uh, recently. It is happening. It it warms my heart more than I can say. Um, Having spent a lifetime in ministry and part of that, good part of it, in youth ministry, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to see what's happening across our nation with the youth. And it's not getting much coverage in the news, but it doesn't matter. It's happening, and word is spreading throughout the Christian community that thousands of kids are getting saved and baptized, and they're committing their lives to the Lord, and thousands of them are saying they feel called to ministry and so on. Well, an 85-year-old man surrendered his life to Jesus Christ for the first time. He was baptized by Pastor Greg Laurie at California's historic Pirates Cove. That's that place that's in that movie, the the Jesus Revolution. And that's where kids were just showing up, accepting Christ and getting saved in the 70s. I was a youth pastor during that period, in fact, in the Los Angeles area, in North Hollywood. But anyway, he he was he was baptized. He accepted Christ, and he had been inspired by the film. His family had asked him to see the film, 85 years old. So he watched the film, and um, at one point in the line, it really got slowed down. People were in line to get baptized, and uh, uh, Greg Laurie was telling the story the other day, and he said, man, the line slowed way down, and he said, then I saw this older gentleman was moving. He couldn't move as fast as some of the younger ones, and he said, he, but he was in line. His wife was with him, as a matter of fact. And uh, he was making his way down to the onto the beach to get baptized there in the ocean. So he, he uh, Lori said, he said when I when I met him, he said his story was so amazing because he said he watched the movie and accepted Jesus as a direct response to seeing that that movie. 
And uh, Lori said his family said, we never, ever thought he would come to Christ. His family was Christians, and he just wouldn't accept Christ. He didn't want to become a Christian or wouldn't become. But you know, it tells us it's never too late for someone to turn to Christ. And it also says, never give up on people. Never stop praying for people, especially including your family members. Well, that's the good news. I guess if you're politically inclined, and I think many of you are, this would also could be good news, maybe not for everybody. But the New York Times put out a story this morning, a, a, a long story, and I read it all. And I, I kept watching for where, is, where are they going to take a left turn, a pivot, and really attack the Republican people that are running for the presidency now. There's a, you know, kind of a group of them now. There's, I don't know how many, but a number of them. And um, it, it didn't do that, really. It was just a straight news story, I think, unless I missed something in it. It's, it was long. It had a lot of information in it. But it, it was just, put. they're putting it out there. I, I found myself trying to analyze their motives for not turning and trying to undermine these, you know, Republican uh, wannabe presidents, uh, candidates. But they didn't, didn't, didn't do it as far as I could see. But anyway, they come out. Here's the headline in the New York Times. It says, Trump crushing DeSantis and GOP rivals. Times, Siena poll fines. That was the headline. And as I said, it was a long and, and a pretty well-written story. And... Uh, the, the essence of it is that Republicans' preferences for the 2024 presidential nominee are, are, are very strong and getting stronger for Donald Trump. Trump, <laughs> Trump has, um, well, it's his former president Donald Trump is dominating his rivals for the Republican presidential nominee, nomination, leading the nearest challenger, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, by a landslide 37 percentage points nationally among the likely Republican primary electorate according to the first New York Times uh, Seneca College College poll of 2024 campaign. Mr. Trump held decisive advantage across almost every demographic group and region in every ideological wing of the party, the survey found. As Republican voters waved away concerns about his escalating legal jeopardy, he led by large margins among men and women, younger and older voters, moderates and conservatives, those who went to college, those who didn't, and in cities, suburbs, and rural areas. Well, if you're on the Trump team, you, that that's pretty good news. I mean, that's pretty unusual at this point, given all of the problems that he has and all of the of the accusations and, you know, the some of the things that he's being charged with. The poll shows that some of Mr. DeSantis, I'm reading from the New York Times here, Mr. DeSantis's central campaign arguments that he is more electable than Mr. Trump and that would he would govern more efficiently have so far failed to break through. Even Republicans motivated by the type of issues that have fueled Mr. DeSantis' rise, such as fighting radical woke ideology, favored the former president to do so rather than DeSantis. Overall, Mr. Trump led Mr. DeSantis 54% to 17%. No other candidate topped 3% during the poll. I think Mike Pence, Nikki, um, Nikki Halley, and some of those others are running about 3%. And that's what they're referring to here. But 
They said below the, those lopsided top-line figures were other ominous signs for Mr. DeSantis. He performed his weakest among some of the Republican Party's biggest and most influential constituencies. He earned only 9% support among voters at least 65 years old and older, 13% of those without a college degree. Republicans who described themselves as very conservative favored Trump by a 50-point margin, 65% to 15%. That's a little update on what's happening politically in our nation. We're kind of on the runway headed toward the 2024 elections, presidential elections. And I I can say this without hesitation. This will be the most consequential, the most consequential election probably in the history of our nation. There is no question about that. We are hanging by a thread and somebody's got to right this ship or it isn't going to get righted. And I see a bunch of people running for president and, and I, I, some of them are wonderful people, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know any of them personally, but I, I know a lot about them. And I, I, They're wonderful people and well-intentioned, and I'm sure they do well at what they've done in the past and so on. But, boy, we better think this one through and pray it through because there is a war going on in this nation, and there has to be some strong leadership. They announced, the Democratic Party announced this morning that President Biden will be spending and reaffirmed it. They had said that the other day as well, that Mr. Biden will be spending, President Biden will be spending most of his time at his home running his campaign there. Virtually, there is no need to be traveling around the country and blah, blah, blah. So that's what we can expect. He'll be in the basement. Other people will be quoting and explaining what he meant when he said so-and-so. It's going to be, he's going to apparently do the same thing he did uh, in the last election, it worked for him that time. Apparently, although I don't, I've never believed that he got 81 million votes. I, I just don't think there's that many Ameri- Americans that would have done that. I, I don't believe it. Uh, how you know bad? How off was the count? I don't know, but I don't believe it was 81 million. Take Trump out of it. Take anybody else, Mike Pence, whomever. Take them all out. I don't believe Joe Biden could get 81 million votes for three years ago. I don't believe he'll do it again either, unless something is very, very wrong with our election system. I noticed also the Boy Scouts of America, the scouting organization, they're inviting this year, publicly inviting the LGBTQ advocacy for their national jamboree camp in West Virginia. I used to talk a lot about the Boy Scouts, great organization. They were part of the kind of part of the the culture of America. I mean, families generationally, their boys were raised and they went to Boy Scouts and were involved in Boy Scouts. And they grew up and had children and their sons went to Boy Scouts and so on. Well, all of that, uh, unfortunately, has been stolen from America by the LGBTQ advocacy groups and the activists. The report that I read said the advocacy as applauded by LGBTQ advocate Mike DeSocio in the Washington Post. Big article on that this morning. said there's value in the type of place it is becoming. Talking about the Boy Scouts. There's value in the type of place it's becoming. That's what they say. Um, They say one, one where any kid of any race or gender or sexual orientation feels at home. 
The Socio has campaigned for an official welcome for gays and lesbians, as well as transsexuals, dubbed transgenders, into the national organization. They de- the demand contradicted the organization's original purpose in directing and submitting young men's energy to help guide them through their turbulent adolescent years and puberty. Boy, I'll tell you, every, every institution in our nation is under attack by the leftist ideology and its advocates. The Boy Scouts is a shining example of how the left can destroy institutions in America. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out an enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. If you grew up in church like I did, you may remember, remember that song we used to sing a lot in church about the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on. I was sitting there, kid. I was always distracted in the pew. I was always looking and probably squirming around and so on. But somehow you, you just hear those songs and you never forget the words. I mean, you just remember them. I remember them to this day. It has been several years now since I was a kid. And uh, I remember them. And I think many of you do as well. I think it, a lot of them were, in fact, most of them were scripture-based. The gospel hymns and certainly the old hymns of the church were all scripture-based. And we, we remember those songs. And it becomes a part of our life and a part of our relationship with, with God. We remember those things. And uh, I think that's a good one to remember. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. God is with us. Education has been indoctrinating kids for a long time. Now it's blaspheming God. A month ago, we learned that Loyola University, it's a Chicago-based Catholic school, will offer students a course in transgender medicine, including the treatment of trans children. The two-week course would allow students to shadow staff at gender clinics, learn about irreversible experimental gender, gender treatments and surgeries. We've also said before, I've mentioned it several times on this program, that gender surgeries, they're basically child abuse, they're child mutilations, they're mutilating a child's body. They're a growing cash flow for hospitals and doctors who do the surgeries. It's estimated that it's about a $2 billion industry already operating on kids who are confused, who think they're boys who think they're girls and girls who think they're boys, and it's doing surgeries to try to give them the genitalia of the opposite sex. And these doctors are standing by with a straight face. They should be they should be brought before a court, a moral court of some kind, and they will. They will be held accountable by God himself for what they're doing to children today. And they're doing it because of money. Some of them are homosexuals and they're activists. I talked about one just the other day, last week one day. But a lot of them are not homosexual and they're not necessarily activists, but they see the money in it. And I think that's part of what the hospitals are seeing as well. So they're going into this thing and they see it. In fact, it's estimated by 2030 it could be as much as a $10 billion industry. I don't think it's going to last that long. It's going to burn out. It's not going to sustain itself because it's too anti-God, anti-nature. And these guys, but they're making big bucks in doing this. 
and that is very, very offensive to me, and it should be to all of us. But now the leftists are turning on the creator himself. They're not just fiddling around with the creation, changing little boys, supposedly, into little girls and little girls to little boys. Now they're turning on the creator himself. We're learning that another Chicago-based school, the University of Chicago, is going to offer a religious course in uh, 2023-24. That's the academic year that begins just in a matter of days this fall. They're going to be offering this this class, and it's titled Queering God. According to the course description, it will include queer Jewish, queer Christian, queer Islamic theologies, and it will ask students to consider, is God queer? That's blasphemy. That isn't just inappropriate. It's blasphemy. I looked it up. I looked at the University of Chicago catalog, and sure enough, there it is. It says, here's what the catalog says to incoming students. Can God be an ally in queer world-making? Is God queer? What does queerness have to do with Judaism, Christianity, or Islam? This course introduces students to fundamental concepts in queer and trans uh, studies by focusing on queer Jewish, Christian, Islamic theologies. We will analyze the ways that contemporary artists, activists, and scholars are using theology to reimagine gender and experiment with new uh, relational forms. Our readings will include a variety of genres, uh, memoir, letters, scriptural interpretation, and a novel. There will be no presumption of previous acquaintance with any of the readings or topics discussed or indeed with any academic theology or queer theory at all. To be clear, practicing Jews and Christians serve and worship the same God, the God of the Bible. The Jews have not generally accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but they worship the same God that Christians do. Muslims do not serve that God, and people like Joe Biden and others always try to group everybody together and say, well, we all serve the same God, and we all need to get along, the Muslims, the Christians, and all that. No, we don't. We don't serve the same God. Allah is not the God of the Bible. He's a made-up God. There are not, as Oprah and Barack Obama and other leftist so-called Christians tell the country, many paths to God, the God of the Bible. There's no one way to the true and living God, they say. There is only one way, the Bible says, through Jesus Christ, by accepting him as Lord and Savior of our lives. Now this is under attack, and they are blaspheming God at most prestigious school, according to uh, World uh, U.S. News and World Report, it says that the University of Chicago is ranked sixth best university in the United States. And they are now attacking God and blaspheming Almighty God. Previously, the University of Chicago had taught a course called The Problem of Whiteness in 2022. That was eventually postponed due to public backlash. When the public found out about it, I hope there's the same thing. I hope they, I hope their donors back off. I hope people at the back off. The course description explained that the seminar would examine the problem of whiteness through these this anthropological lens, uh, drawing from classic and contemporary works and critical race theory and blah blah blah. Well, the people got a hold of that and they they pushed back really hard, so they canceled that. But now they're coming out with this trying to 
queer God and deconstruct him. And people are paying fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year to send their kid there, or the kid, or they're they're acquiring massive debt in student loans. But queering God? What's the matter with these people? In an interview with the Daily Caller, Joseph Flores, a student co-president of a Christian ministry organization on campus, said progressive actors seek to conquer and remake God into some crude mockery in their own image. That's exactly what they do. We live in a very confused culture right now. Americans are a people of faith with strongly held beliefs in heaven, angels, the power of prayer, and the supremacy of the higher guiding force. A poll was released Saturday by the Associated Press, and Breitbart News wrote an article yesterday about it, and they even sounded a little confused as to how to, how to report on what, they, what the poll found. Posters found that 69% of people across the nation think angels are real, while the same number also believe in heaven. 72% believe in the power of prayer. But why aren't we acting like we believe those things? The profile from the study shows, in my mind, a level of confusion as to who God really is. That's what we're seeing in America. The question was that, there are a number of questions were asked, but one question that was asked is that, that some things can't be explained by science. 83% of the Americans believe that. In the power of prayer, 72% of Americans believe that. In heaven, 69% believe it. 69% believe in angels. 63% of these people, though, believe in karma. If you believe in, in, in an almighty God, how can you believe in karma? 58% believe in hell. 56% believe in the devil. 50% said that the spirits of those who died, they can, you, they can interact with the living. 50% of Americans believe that. And 42% of Americans believe the spiritual energy can be rooted in physical objects. But they also believe in a God or a higher being. And they believe in angels and all of this. this kind of, there's a confusion in America. And I think it brings us to the point where we have to ask ourselves, what do I believe about God? And I would ask you in matters of this, what do you believe in God? A survey shows that not believing in God is a greater liability in dating than being very religious. 42% of Americans say a potential partner being very religious is more negative than positive. Not believing in God appears to be a regular liability in dating, according to this poll from the American American study on American life. And um, But yet the takeaway of it is, shows that polls and surveys aside, People want God to be a part of their life. So what do you believe about God? Ultimately, it matters a lot. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. How can we get it right before that moment? If that's the end, and it is, what do we do now? Well, Romans 10, chapter 10 verse 9 and 10 tells us precisely what we must do to have a personal relationship with God. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead. I'll see you tomorrow.